0: This episode is brought to you by Crunch Firm, a full-stack finance, accounting, and CFO advisory partner focused exclusively on VC-backed startups. Crunch Firm steps in as a hands-on CFO for their clients and serves as a one-stop shop, taking on bookkeeping, back office, tax, cap table management, financial modeling, and fundraising support. If you are a founder or know a founder of a fast-growing startup looking for a best-in-class partner for these crucial services, get in touch with the team at Crunchfirm by emailing hello at crunchfirm.com. Listeners also get the first month free. Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and consumer-facing startups. If you're a founder of a B2C business and currently fundraising, I run a private newsletter where I share companies to past and future guests of the show that I think are interesting. If you'd like to apply to be on the newsletter, head over to theconsumervc.com slash startup. Our guest today is Alex Levitt, one of the heads of Yellow. Yellow is Snap Inc.'s ecosystem to serve companies at the intersection of creativity and technology with its accelerator program, collabs program, and community programming. Yellow is currently accepting applications through Sunday, August 23rd for its inaugural Collabs program now. If you're interested in integrating your product into the Snap platform through Snap Minis, Snap Kit Dynamic Lenses, Scan, Snap ML, or more, please visit yellowla.com and apply and learn more. I first met Alex a few years ago when we both were at WME, so I was really excited to catch up with her and learn more about her work at Yellow. Without further ado, here's Alex. (music) Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you?
1: Good. How are you?
0: Doing well, thanks. Doing well. Um. So let's start from the very beginning. What, what attracted you initially to media and technology in the first place?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it goes back to college. Uh, I was studying international studies in college, which I think can sound like just very general liberal artsy. But to me, I was really interested in culture and communication around the world and how, how it varied, how people communicated with one another and how trends would travel. And that initially led me into really, I think, entertainment and the arts exploring you know the entertainment industry initially uh, getting involved in different projects that could impact the community and to me that's how I got into media and technology just being able to share things with large groups of people and to be able to facilitate communication and cultural sharing was really interesting to me.
0: I think you're the first person that really the, on the show that tied international relations to to technology and media, but that totally <laughs> makes sense as you that 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 totally makes sense as you describe it. So I know that you worked at WME. That's that's where we met, and you know in the digital department. What was your focus as you rose the ranks and became agent on digital? And I guess your attraction there.
1: My experience varied so widely during my time at WME. I kind of would say like half the time, I guess I was doing what you'd traditionally think of an agent, transactional deal negotiation, representing a roster of talent, both taking talent from the traditional Hollywood world, movies, TV, and bringing them into digital area, partnering with apps, selling content online, but also working with digitally native talent people getting popular off of YouTube and Snapchat and Instagram and helping them build businesses and almost do the opposite and take them into the traditional world. Uh, But the other half of my time was very business development focused. As you know, WME has gone through a lot of changes after I joined and acquired IMG along with a number of other companies and properties. And my role really spanned a lot of these acquisitions. So I was involved in some fun projects, including launching over-the-top fashion network uh, that premiered on Apple TV. It was the first fashion network on Apple TV. I worked with a lot of our fashion and sports properties and helping launch influencer strategies. And I also worked with our venture team who raised a fund during my time there and did early stage investing and helped Companies like Uber and Glossier and ClassPass navigate strategy for working with the entertainment world. So it really was a lot of different things depending on the month or the day.
0: So I know that you then took your talents to uh, Snap's Accelerator. Uh, What made you excited about Yellow initially?
1: Yeah, when I was initially talking to Snap about launching Yellow and launching Accelerator inside the company, what really interested me is this hole that the accelerator was seeking to fill of course there's so many amazing accelerator programs out there so it wasn't simply be an accelerator that was any different it was really this intersection of creativity and technology that we say is where our thesis lies that i thought was really interesting so snap being a scaled you know tech platform that also has creatives in-house we have content editors and producers. We have designers and people really focused on visual creativity, whether they're designing things in AR or if it's content for Discover. And that's sort of an interesting combination to be focused both on the scale, but also really focused on individual creative pieces. And they can be very different thought processes that go into each strategy. And so we Snap saw this Expertise at this intersection is something it could share a lot of learnings with other people. And coming from where I was coming from, from really um, the digital department inside a traditional Hollywood agency, it was often my job to interpret what tech companies were doing to how it impacted the traditional Hollywood system. So I was seeing this sort of uh, intersection of knowledge all the time from a different perspective. And felt like there was still a gap that, that wasn't there to help companies really cross that barrier. So that that to me was really interesting to see a company like Snap have so many learnings internally that it could focus on and share with a new subset of companies.
0: I mean, I know that you probably just described it, but I'd love to just get kind of dig dig deeper on how you're thinking about the different acceleration programs out there, and just the overall accelerate uh, like accelerator industry or channel for entrepreneurs to raise money. You know, what are maybe some reasons why entrepreneurs might go through an accelerator rather than trying to raise their own pre seed round?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think there's both are good paths depending on what you're seeking to achieve and what you're looking for. I think accelerators can be really strong at helping build a wider network and support system to provide early strategic knowledge or insights that you may be looking for in a specific area if maybe you're in you know your early founding team is small they might not be experts in every area maybe an accelerator could bring that specific expertise but more so i i think often a cohort is one of the things that's the most valuable from an accelerator program and i i hear that a lot from the founders who go through our program too is having a subset of peers that are going through the same thing as you can be a really amazing support system you know i truly believe that being a founder choosing to be a founder is one of the most difficult things that you can go and do it's a really you know long and winding roller coaster ride, there's ups and downs and you are going to need people to support you through that. And it can be really helpful to know other people that are also experiencing that. So to me, I think if you're going to go for an accelerator program, you're probably looking for more of that support system. Um, you know, there's a lot of you can also build support systems other ways, but that's that's a really like surefire way, I think, to to find a really solid support system.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, we had on Anna Barber talking about, you know, Techstars, and then obviously the support system there with the cohort, but also like the alumni network that you have. Um, I know also like famously like First Round, even though it's on Accelerator, but First Round talks about their platform that they made for founders that, that they've invested in um, to, to communicate with others. So I think that there's certainly, that network is uh, so crucial, especially at the early stages, for founders to uh, uh, to have that and to seek advice. So uh, why Talk me through a little bit on your due diligence process when you're looking at all these
1: opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because we're so early stage for the accelerator, I think a lot of our due diligence is focused on the founders themselves. Understanding their vision, where they're currently, you know, where they're at in, in the process. You know, we've invested in companies that are pre product. Uh, And more of an idea stage and we've invested in companies that are already launched and out there. And so there's gonna be a different expectation for what you're seeing in the company based on those differences in timeline. And so we're heavily focused, I think, on understanding who the founder is um, because so much can still change in a company at the point at which they enter an accelerator, or at least our accelerator, I would say, uh, that you wanna make sure this is a founder that is committed to the cause I think they should believe that this is something that has to exist. You're really looking for grit and passion, uh, as well as drive and vision. So I would say our our due diligence process is heavily focused around that and and getting to know the founders that are interested in participating in the program. And we have a variety of interview cycles uh, that involves primarily myself and my colleague Mike Sue, who runs the Yellow program with me at Snap. But we also take advantage of the breadth of expertise that we have around the company and put together a panel of judges from cross-functional divisions to bring expertise from really almost every department around our company.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, are all are all the companies in your accelerator or your, your, your cohort that you look for, are they all uh, consumer-facing?
1: They're primarily. We definitely have some um, B2B2C companies, but I would say... 90% of our companies are consumer-facing companies.
0: What milestones in terms of uh, maybe traction that you like to see companies come in with or are you mostly focusing on the team?
1: I would say we focus a little bit more on the team than having a hard and fast traction number. Look, I don't know. I wouldn't go around saying you have to hit XYZ metrics before we'll even look at you. Um, but it's definitely a balancing act to sort of gauge what that expectation is is uh, with what you think the team can accomplish. And so I don't know, there's not an exact formula, if that makes sense. I think it's getting a little bit of a sense of holistic strengths and weaknesses of a team. If a company has launched and has a product in market, we're definitely looking for early signs of, I think like super fandom in a way. Uh, We're looking for hyperactive communities uh, that are really engaged. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be massive in scale. I think what's really interesting to us is depth and engagement, uh, whether it's a lot of time spent or return user or just a really clear identity for who your audience members are.
0: No, that, that makes sense. Um, how involved is Snap in your accelerator as like an overarching? Because I because i've heard like positives and negatives when it comes to corporate accelerators, uh, corporate funds, so what would love to kind of learn a little bit more about the dynamic there as well.
1: I would say i'm biased but i think we have the best of both worlds with snap being involved. Um we launched the program as yellow to keep some distance between our uh, founder ecosystem and the overall corporate branding. You know, we've always operated in our own space uh whether it's our own building or our own floor within the SNAP campus is where we now sat uh, before, pre-COVID, before we had to go a bit remote. Um, So we have really awesome space to um, help these companies move along. And my job is exclusively to provide the best guidance for what will benefit uh, each individual company in our portfolio. Now, however, we're an arm's length away from Snap Corporate in that, on a weekly basis, we have mentors from all around the company come in. Uh, we have a lot of really great access, I would say, to uh, executives around the company who, without this program, would definitely not be the same. Um, all the way up from, you know, our CEO Evan Spiegel, who. Uh, comes in and has met with every single one of our companies in our portfolio to date, down to product managers and other people around the company who, as desired by our founders, have, have been available to match up for mentorship relationships. So I think, you know, we have amazing support from Snap in that sense, but also with our Accelerator program, there's no exclusivity to our platform. We're completely platform agnostic, so you're never expected to be on our platform. We won't pressure you to make business decisions based on anything going on uh, at Snap. And so each company uh, has to set their own strategy based on what's right for them. And then of course, um, something new we're doing, uh, we just launched two weeks ago, the Yellow Collabs program, which is much more heavily focused on specific integration with Snap as a platform. So since we launched Yellow, Snap has really opened up as a platform. And while our accelerator program will remain platform agnostic and have no exclusivity or tie requirement to our platform, we've seen a lot of incoming interest in launching products on our platform and taking advantage of those opportunities. So we just launched a program called collabs that allows uh, founders to apply with the sole intention of integrating into our product. So it's an equity-free, um, program that we'll be doing fully remote no investment associated with this program basically three months to work white glove service with our teams to integrate into one specific area of our platform and then reap the benefits of the yellow network essentially and get a lightweight version of a lot of the mentorship programming we do through yellow while you're going through that process.
0: That's awesome. I mean, the collab program, it sounds a little bit like finding the next, you know, do on WeChat where where you have those two heavily linked on building a platform on top of a platform.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if you're familiar with YOLO uh, who launched on Snapchat? Uh, they yeah. they raised money in January of this year, I believe it is, and we're able to see a lot of traction through launching on the platform. And similarly, we've seen success with companies coming through our accelerator and seeking opportunities to integrate with our platform. And it's a really interesting opportunity to just turn on a hose with access to consumers and. And see what you can do. I think it gives companies a lot of great advantages to experimenting quickly and having access to potential traction. Totally. Like do
0: you think that's one of the next phases of social? Like right now, you're gonna you're you're starting to have these companies that build maybe social products or features on top of already social platforms.
1: Yeah, I mean it's definitely happened in trends on other platforms as well. I think you know Facebook has been a, an example where there are certainly you know whether you're building games or bots or other sorts of things on top of that as well as you know i think the not social but you know the app store is obviously you know a huge platform that people have built on top of so i think as these platforms scale and open up i, I think it's a huge area of opportunity for innovation and and for people to go and find new opportunities and new businesses on top of so
0: talk to a little bit about some of the trends that you're right now uh, really interested in.
1: I guess oh, the trends kind of tie into our main areas of focus for the accelerator. You know, innovation in mobile content is is definitely a, a huge area that we're looking at. Um, you know, Snap being a mobile only platform, really thinking about what your relationship with a mobile device looks like. Things within that in AR, um, I think, are an obvious place that I've I've been interested in. Um, working where I do, as well as, so there's, there's, there's four main buckets we look at within the accelerator. The first is, is mobile content innovation. Uh, Second is uh, where content meets commerce. So I think commerce companies are inherently content companies these days. So figuring out how you can really use messaging and storytelling as top of funnel customer acquisition in a really effective way is interesting to me as well as media and 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 pure content companies which entertainment world that i've spent a lot of time in and while it's not always uh necessarily like the, the the coolest area to be investing we heavily believe in the long tail of content and uh and and i think there are really interesting innovations that people can be making to see growth and uh, you know, there, there's so much value in brand. It's really hard to build a strong band brand, but when you do, I think there's so much value in it. I think that that can come across in media as well.
0: Absolutely. I know that content's a bit out of favor. I wanted to also talk, touch on like business model and the advertising business model, which has been uh critical to uh, social, but how are you thinking right now in terms of the future of social when it comes to business models? Like, will you look at a social application that where they're where they make sales through advertising, or are you more comfortable, for example, with like a SaaS based type of company?
1: I think we'll absolutely continue to look at companies with an advertising business model. You know, I think in the short term, it's going to be a difficult space. You know, the current economic environment that we're in advertising is going to be a difficult space uh, to compete for. And then you've got really big players that you're competing with, right? It's hard uh, when you don't necessarily have the scale uh, that that a large platform is going to offer to an advertiser. And it's a lot easier to dump your dollars in one place and get it across a lot of different properties than you know spending individually into a new startup. So it's only not going to be, I think, a cakewalk, <laughs> uh, but we're still very interested in, and, and believe in uh, advertising-based business models. Um, I think we're open to innovation within that too, though. I think there's a lot of different ways um, to, to monetize your users and We're looking for people who are finding interesting ways to change it up a little bit.
0: Um, I think that, I think that those are all very good points that you made. I think it's, Really interesting, too, because there's a lot of talk about um, and we've and we've certainly seen the development of this with social with, you know, uh, social media is more media than social. And Mm -hmm. now folks are moving towards having more compelling and real conversations and meeting, you know, actual people online rather than it's interesting because with that, I feel like it's becoming a bit more verticalized Mm -hmm. when it comes to what you're talking about to make it more um, in depth. So it's not a shallow but rather a lot more uh, uh, deep there. And what I think is interesting is if it's, if it's more, you know, conversations as much more group based rather than, Mm -hmm. you know, putting up on a Twitter update, you might not have, you might not reach be able to reach that scale where you could actually do an advertising platform. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. That's just something that I've been thinking about. Yeah,
1: no, I, I think, I think there's that's, that's can be totally true. I think, I guess some of what I'm also hearing, which is, sort of a a side tangent potentially to what you're initially proposing, but also just looking at a lot of the founders we work with, I find one of the hardest things to do is often focus. When you're initially building a company and you have a large vision and you want to build something massive in the long run, it can be overwhelming to figure out what your product should be. You want to be all of these things to your consumer many times, but finding one specific area that you can excel at, I think is the most important first before branching out. And so in many ways, I think uh, that verticalization that you're talking about is almost necessary uh, at the early stages too. And maybe companies will continue to stay more verticalized because they're just hyper-serving that need that their consumer has and and that's enough. Um, But I would almost say, uh, if if you have a vision for something, think how can you like almost scale it back at the beginning and really find what what that vertical is that you're that you're going to excel at first uh, because otherwise i don't know that you'll ever get to that sort of multi-stage platform if you will
0: that's a great point so i wanted to talk a little bit about covid i know it's top of everybody's mind and of course i think i would imagine that at an accelerator like yellow which is so collaborative and you have these cohorts it must be tough because Folks cannot be in the same room, which I feel like that's part of the magic. Mm-hmm. How have you coped with COVID during these times?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like everyone else, we experienced significant change and really had to rethink the way that we're communicating on a daily basis. Um, for us, we were one month into our our this year's accelerator program, um, so we had five international companies, five U.S. companies working out of our office for four full weeks until we had to shut down our office space, which was a huge bummer and not something we planned for when we started our accelerator program. So, you know, I think there were a lot of things that were easy to flip, Uh, you know, already being, you know, using uh, video conferencing frequently, it was pretty easy to just take our in-person meetings and flip them online. But there's definitely little nuances of things that go missing. You know, I think uh, learning how to bring sort of intimacy and like small spaces into these Zoom webinars is, can be more difficult, and learning how to encourage people to ask questions and have conversations—you know—taking a fireside chat with a fifteen-person audience and an expert in our office and moving it online doesn't equate a hundred percent. So it was definitely a lot of on-the-fly trial and error of how to still deliver the experience we promised these companies when we accepted them into our program while being able to maintain momentum and and keep things going, right? An Accelerator is an intense experience. It's usually moving pretty fast. You're usually probably signing up to be a little overwhelmed. And so that on top of, I think, the changing world uh, climate was also really difficult. So we also had to take a moment, I think, to think more about you know, it's always important. I think to think about founder mental health. It's always been something we've thought about. I think it's even more significant in a time like this, when everybody is so preoccupied by um, their circumstances on top of the business that they're building and how it might be changing. Uh, it might be changing your living situation, but it also might be changing your launch plans that you had in two weeks from now. So, definitely a lot of little little tweaks and little considerations. I think we had to think about it engaging with our founders.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for painting a picture and taking us in a glimpse of of what it was like. Wanted to know, was it was it harder or has it been harder as you're looking at companies for your next accelerator and establishing conviction with founders when you have to talk and meet with them remotely? I, I take it that since you had international companies, this is maybe something that you've already been doing uh, pre-COVID. But I've talked to investors that some say that it's been actually not that difficult finding conviction and actually meeting with founders virtually and in other investors that Mm -hmm. um, have really a hard time finding conviction. So we'd just love to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah.
1: I mean, I definitely think that there, it can be a little bit harder at times. Um, But simultaneously, I think there's a lot of benefits to that almost like level the playing field in some ways that get me excited about doing things remotely that maybe we can learn from and be able to Bring with us even once we start to go back into offices, in the sense that you know everybody performs differently at a you know in-person interview or an on-the-spot or even on Zoom. And so what I think was difficult before, when we had international applicants and in-person interviews, is some of our applicants would be able to travel to the U.S. for our interviews, and some of them, um, understandably, couldn't couldn't make that trip and did uh, did remote. Uh, interviews. And now we're in a world, you know, for for our first program that we did early this year, all of it uh, was able to still operate in person, right? So this is the first time now that we're going to do an application cycle 100% remote. So we haven't yet had to like hold the trigger or make any of those decisions yet. Uh, but I am kind of excited by the idea of it putting everyone in the same boat. There's no option. You have to do a, a remote interview. You know, maybe it'll be less about uh, simply can you perform on the spot, but can you answer the questions in depth? And so I guess to me, there's like a little bit of excitement in what is possible uh, in the remote environment.
0: Yeah, I've, you know, it's it's funny. I've, I've heard it on both sides. Uh, one investor I had on just that comes to mind, Connie, was saying how simple things like eye contact, where if you meet somebody in person and they don't give you eye contact it might just be that's how they communicate but visually if someone's not giving you eye contact over a zoom call uh you think that they, might, that they might be distracted you don't know if they're looking on like another website or something like that so like that's one of the on the negative side on the positive side when i had on uh, nick uh Mindell, uh he was saying how um it actually, when he was doing his, his diligence, uh, diligence calls, um, seeing how founders behave when maybe their kid walks in the door or, or their cat like walks over the keyboard, but (laughs) seeing actually how they behave when these, you know, times happen, these, uh, part, uh, he thinks that it was actually really helpful for, uh, for him. Uh, so it's just a new medium, but, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Ask
1: me again in three months how i feel after we go through this process exactly
0: exactly right right so what's one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally
1: um it's a good question i always have trouble picking like favorites but i read the book last year educated by tara westover Uh, it's a memoir of her life uh, growing up in a place that's very different from a place that i grew up in but uh so many similar, I guess, life lessons and learnings throughout it that uh, it's amazing how much someone you initially think you have so little in common with, you can see so many patterns and so ma- have so many connections to. So I really, uh, that was a really engaging read for me um, on a personal level, and on a professional level, uh, probably not that original, but um, I've uh, I like the book Creativity Inc by Ed Catmull coming from the uh, the industry I come from. I think it's an, an interesting read.
0: No, that's, no they, they, they both sound really interesting. Um, I'm really excited to add both of them or a book page. So what's one thing that you would change when it came to venture capital or the whole
1: mm-hmm.
0: fundraising process?
1: I think one thing that I would wanna change is the accessibility of it. I think it's probably a common theme that's being talked about now. But even coming from over from the entertainment world, which itself is an inaccessible and and very sort of insular industry, I think similarly, uh, venture can be the same, can be intimidating from the outside as far as finding your way in. Uh, it can feel like you can only, uh, you know, make your way in if you have the right pre-existing connections, and oftentimes not even feel it is it is that way. And so I would love to really help impact the accessibility of the industry. There's so many amazing founders out there. And and one thing I really enjoy about the platform that I'm able to work in is having an international, you know, open application online for our program has I think allowed us to really access uh, a broader group of individuals. And I hope we can continue to push that uh, and continue to, you know, reach into further areas that might not organically touch the you know known areas of of investing.
0: Yeah, I mean I absolutely agree. There needs to be more diversity. My final question is what's one piece of advice that you have for founders that are currently fundraising?
1: I would say don't give up. I think a common thing that I see among founders, especially when I'm talking to people who are fundraising is there's like a critical point where it kind of feels like you've talked to everybody there is to talk to. And maybe you haven't been getting the answers you want to get immediately. But When I asked the number of investors they've had a conversation with, uh, it's much lower than the number needs to be to get a yes. An investor once told me, I remember uh, came into Yellow and spoke to our cohort and said, you know, to get to your first yes for, you know, a seed or series A, you should probably expect to talk to about 75 people just for your first yes. And I find around 15, 20 conversations, founders tend to feel like they've exhausted their opportunities. And so I think it's really just like digging deep and pushing through because it's not an easy feat. But if you really believe in what you're trying to do and can keep going, uh, I think you can start to find people who will, you know, feel similarly and might identify the opportunity with you.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a really great point with don't give up and don't just seek... 15 20 investors it really is a game of really talking to as many people as you can and you know and that comes i think i like that 75 number
1: yeah and i can't take credit for that number that was advice i got from industry but i i i quote it now um but yeah and i think also similarly being intent like in having intent with the conversations you're having um There's a lot of people out there trying to build something. If you've been going and doing it, like show, show that you've been thoughtful about who you're reaching out to, why you think their background or their expertise would be a value add as an investor on your cap table, or, you know, maybe a company they've worked with in the past that on the surface doesn't look like it's the same as yours, but because they have that expertise, they could be helpful to you.
0: Absolutely. I think that just having that intent of understanding why this person would be, Um, the person that would actually make sense or, or, or find this relevant or really understand what you're actually trying to build. Well, Alex, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Yeah. Thank you too. It's always great chatting with you.
0: And there you have it. It was lots of fun chatting with Alex. Please follow her on Twitter at Alex M. Levitt. If you could please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app as it helps other folks find it, that would really be helpful. If you have a question you'd like to hear VCs or founders answer on the show, you can DM me and follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. You can also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. For all episodes, please visit the ConsumerVC.com.
1: Thanks again for listening, folks, and please stay safe.